The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Auckland is the biggest Pacifica city in the world, and has been for decades. But for many years, you could consume an awful lot of media and not know it. Save for a few off-peak shows, where an institution called Tagata Pacifica showcased great stories at odd times, and was still made with an eye to not alienating any non-intended audience. And then, around 2010, something really cool happened. A show called Fresh burst onto the scene. It told Pacifica stories in a true Pacifica voice, made with an eye to being relevant and real and proudly for the community first. It went great guns, becoming a cult hit and helping to launch careers and talents into the industry. The producer, Lisa Tauma, extended this as the monolithic media continued to give way, launching The Coconut, an online virtual village that tells Pacifica stories in unique ways and is consumed and loved through the prime time of the internet. It's such a cool force in media, and to talk the journey, being the change, and telling stories for the audience, rather than the nice old ducks that might have accidentally turned on the telly of a morning, Lisa joins us now. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning, lovely to be here. Hey, tell me about how you got started in on-screen storytelling. Yep, so I had done a lot of things in the arts realm, um, and I'd done some moving image, and I'd, I'd, um, I'd done art history and film at, at Varsity doing an MA, and I'd um, made some short films, as you do, pretty terrible, really glad they will never see the light of day. Um, and then, But because I'd, I'd been working in moving image quite early off my own steam, um, t- when Tangata finally had a new placement to take someone on TVNZ in those days um, had a lot of long-term contractors people rarely left anyway there was a a, a gap in the market as it were and and um, I happened to sort of be in the right place at the right time um, they have uh, had a fantastic producer Stephen Staline who who shoulder tapped me and brought me on which was hugely exciting because um, 
this program, Tangata Pacifica, had been going it's in its 35th year, I think. Um, but they had only had a budget for X amount of people over the years. And so um, there was only ever a chance for any Pacific person to get into on-screen storytelling if someone left. So I just happened to be around at the right time when someone did leave. Because, you know, as you said, there was this few and far between. And there was a one program for all Pacific people of all ages Every single island denomination, and and we had twenty two minutes on tally for, you know, at that stage, fifteen years, and um, and that was it. It's hard to overstate now just how narrow the broadcasting was. If that that really was kind of the mm-hmm. only position, there mm. weren't documentary strands, there weren't um, you know youth shows, there weren't anything else kind of aimed at the Pacifica community. Well, that's right. And I mean, it had a lot to do with, I think, the way that New Zealand generally thought about itself um, at the time, some would argue still do. Because, you know, I think we've just always been uncomfortable with our recognition of our identity as one of the biggest Pacific islands in the region. And I think there's always been this disassociation. And, and in the 70s and 80s and 90s, there was still all this broadcast stuff that was, you know, clinging to, um, well, you know, a lot of overseas media. But even the stuff that was being produced here, really, it, it was just so divorced, really, from our place in the region and um, reflecting really the, the sorts of society that, that that we were and and um, so you know I think the Pacific the Pacific sector was seen as this tiny migrant sector still that we're really lucky to have any representation at all um, because we were this this small migrant community and I think um, we've had to kick the door wide open not only with with um, you know getting getting the broadcast sector to recognize that you know with its diversity Pacific people needed to be at the forefront of that for many many reasons um, but also that um, we had we weren't just one homogenous kind of group there, there, there were so many sectors within that the biggest sector is our youth sector. We're one of the fastest growing youth populations in the country. So while the New Zealand population's rapidly aging, and it's it's an aged population, um, the Pacific population is browning by the minute. So as we speak, um, you know, it's becoming browner and browner. And in 20 years, the projection is we are going to be a a very brown population. And that's the, this is this is the future of Aotearoa. And, and it's amazing that so much of the uh, the, the television being produced as well. Um, you know, we're not talking a long time ago here. This is, you know, 10, ten years ago even mm. uh, before there were more outlets um, and, and more youth shows and more internet um, vehicles like the ones that you've built. But, you know, the, if you did have 22 minutes on television, that was still mediated through the view of what if an 85-year-old in Ikatahuna just happened to turn on the TV. It all has to make perfect sense to them as well as the community it's made for, which must make it very challenging to tell authentic yeah. stories. <clears throat> well, it was. I mean, there's two things with that, though, because, you know, everything on um, the golden space of television and, um, you know, the state-owned um, network, So it, and Tangata's on TV1, so anything on that in that hallowed space has to go through all the commissioning filters and all that. And there is that, you know, it, it was very, very very through a specific filter. So you're making a product that's put through a filter. It's it's funded for a niche audience, but via the network, it has to be. It has to also be understood by a wide audience. So you know, there's so many challenges with that. 
Um, and so it was, it was really, really challenging. But the great thing is when, you, when you're as off-peak as we were, um, there, there's a certain amount of getting things through the, under the radar because it just kind of like isn't enough resource as well through, with a lot of the networks to monitor a lot of stuff. So, um, yes, it's the, the filter's always hard and the filter's always going to be there <clears throat> with those spaces. Um, so we've... We've been, I think we've been lucky with a lot of the stuff that we did with Fresh um, in that um, we managed to, again, it was a matter of timing. I think we, it came in, I'd been pitching it for years. So um, Tangata Pacifica was the only Pacific show for about 15 years, I think. And, and when I came on, I just recognized that there was this huge need for youth community stuff because... Um, the communities are really, really different, and the Pacific community in New Zealand now is seventy percent Kiwi born, a New Zealand born. So it's a really, really different community to our migrant um, parents. And um, this community is the fast growing community, and um, this is a completely different audience. So trying to merge stories for the older audience, the younger audience, is really, really, really hard. And we know that this is where the views are, this is where the numbers are. So um, that's what motivated pitching shows like Polyfest and Fresh, which became their own their own series. And I managed to convince the networks that this was the audience, this is the viewership. It needed a separate show. And, and that's remarkable. I mean, um, you know, that process of uh, ha- having something in the voice of the audience and, and taking so long to go. But it wasn't necessarily a business case problem either because there have been really successful media like MyFM that for years yeah. have been talking directly in a voice to their audience. So, I mean, how, how tricky was it to get it up and going? And then once you got fresh going, how important was it to make it work? <clears throat> and you know what? Everything in the universe, I think, is a matter of being in the right time and space. You know, it's a timing issue. And I think we're really, really lucky because um, that, yeah, that we're lucky in the landscape of broadcasting. Um, two things happened that that kind of allowed us that pathway. And it was, and it's, you know, as we know, it's a hugely difficult pathway to get. Um, not not just one-off shows, but the idea of a separate series of shows. You know that could possibly be long-standing. I mean, that's that, it's just really re- even now it's a hugely hard thing to do. But I think um, one we were really lucky with Brotown. So Brotown came along. TV three, TV and Z had famously declined it, along with um, Flight of the Concords. Um, anyway, TV3 picks up Brotown. Catherine Denave, what a star. She made the incredible programming decision of putting it on prime time. This animated comedy that was the most irreverent, politically incorrect, you know, possibly, but that um, innovative um, thing that spoke in this language that New Zealand television had never heard before. I mean, you know, and then it became the part of the lingua franca. I mean, you know, I remember getting in a taxi and this and this eighty-year-old Balangi man saying, "Not even now," you know. And I mean, but and people yeah. people often forget, you know, this generation because it was actually so long ago. Brotown was fifteen years ago. Yeah. Brotown happened, became a smash hit for TV Three, um, and that you know translates into revenue. And then you know they they put it on after the new. It was on at seven thirty. Then they shifted it because it was so popular. They shifted it from nine thirty. 
is a 7.30. So you've got this program that puts specific people in all our complete irreverence and um, the the way we speak in this, and it, and it was speaking directly to a Pacific audience. There was, there was very little filtering around it. I mean, yeah, it was extraordinary. Um, loaded with celebs, but that was on prime time television, you know. So I think it it woke the industry up to this market's appeal to a mainstream, and I think we came along after that, like I <clears throat> pitched hard after Broton had been such a success, and there was this sort of oh, okay, so there is this audience. H- hadn't you pushed hard earlier to get? Oscar Kitely on television in oh the first God, place, though. I so had. So it's a big, I, um, it's a big circle. Yeah, it is a circle. That's right. So I, I made a documentary for Documentary New Zealand on TV One um, on the Otara markets with uh, with Oscar, and yeah, that's right. And I and I remember pitching him to the network people, and they were going, "Oh, you know, untapped talent." And Oscar's going, "I've been tapping for years. What do they mean?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that, well, um, that's the thing when you say you know it's timing, but you'd been you'd been creating pitches and. Uh, pushing to have this, you know, huge sector of the population reflected on the national television network for years. So the timing was really they just catching up. Probably, I mean, yeah, everyone's playing catch up now still. I think, um, but but that's the gig. You 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 tap and you pitch and you tap and you pitch and um, and you know we we all know that gig. Um, and it, but I think it was, you know, you're exactly right. It was the sector catching up to this audience and. I think also at the time, um, there, there was sort of a lot of really, there's this perception about Pacific young people being very cool and very um, sort of exotic, that the sort of um, edgy kind of, kind of especially in, in the fashion scene and in moving image and stuff. There was a lot of, of and celebs. There was a, because of the rise of the Pacific music industry at the time, which is, you know, now completely bottomed out. But, but you know, I mean, we, you look at the TUI Awards in, um, in the early 2000s and every single major award was won by a Pacific artist. So the Pacific people were really at the forefront of the arts sector, especially in the music sector. Mm-hmm. There was lots of cool stuff happening. So that was the second thing that happened was that you we, we, we're kind of riding that amazing wave of Pacific arts creativity at the time. So um, so that was happening too. And, I, and, and you know, through through the network filter, through a business filter, it was all sort of audience and it was going to be attractive. And um, and that's how we got it in after 10 years of, of knocking on the door. And so Fresh started as a an hour-long series. And you mentioned before about the importance of not just having a one-off. And, like, I don't know if outside of the television production industry everyone really understands what a pipeline for talent a long-standing show becomes. Like what now has created so many great people who have yeah. gone on to all kinds of different presenting and production roles. And then, you know, um, Shorten Street has meant the entire uh, television production industry could get a mortgage. Uh, and, you, you know, like there's things like this where, where having having a series means that people can um, get bedded in, earn their chops, know that they can make a living from telling stories they care about. Yeah, that is very true. And I'm so impressed you knew it was an hour. No, so, so we were given an hour and we're, we're only getting given 16 eps of the entire year and we had an hour and hours a lot of tally to make you know it's in a, a week it's huge and because it was our first time and it was the first chance that any young pacific people had ever had i had this amazing crew of people who who made who make fresh with me still but it was we were so excited about it that we everyone just went completely hard out because this was the one chance and it couldn't be bad um, so not only was it an hour, but we <laughs> we made it an hour 
of a ton of vignettes. Like we didn't do the smart thing where you make um, sort of long form bits. We we made I think in in an hour we had maybe twelve or fifteen sections of tally, which was huge. But you're you're right about the platforming for 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 people and um, what we decided to do with Fresh, which I think made it really fresh, but also um, was really innovative at the time. Like nobody had really done it apart from a program called The Living Room, which we loved, yeah, was it yeah, put real pressure. real people on screen. And so we didn't want to do presenters. Um, <clears throat> we had this thing, presenters were really old-fashioned, and, and we just wanted to put the community on screen. So um, we made our lives even more difficult by not having presenters, by having different people present the show every week. So, And that's still the running gig, and our life is still difficult because of that. But, you know, I think that's that, that was the game changer for the show, and that's what made it really different. And I think that's what's sustained it as well, um, possibly, because of that point of difference. So it's putting com- the community on screen. It's getting, you know, at the time we had a whole raft of Pacific celebs that we could give platform to, but also up-and-coming people, the island innovators, the island, and getting people to talk directly down the camera. You know, we were trying to do the whole break the third wall thing, and and just have people speaking directly to the camera. So that that was great too because it meant that um, people were quite were really interested in seeing stars like Sunny Bill Williams, for example. Um, in a, in a context they've never seen him, so it's not just doing a rugby grab after a game and saying the you know the standard things about the game of two halves or whatever. You'd see him with his mum in the kitchen making chop suey, but speaking directly to the camera. So I think there was a huge appeal with that because it's, it was all it really added to this idea of authenticity of voice. So you create this program where you throw people on screen, you speak directly to the camera, and even when they stuff up and they can't say you know articulate what's coming up next on the show or whatever, the warts and all is such an important part of it. Yeah. Um, and that's been the driving factor the whole way through with everything is just that authenticity of seeing real people, you know, and getting those real real voices through. And I know that's like a buzzword that everyone says authenticity all the time, but that, that was really true of, of that yeah. Of that show coming in at that time. Mm. And, and like a sense of curiosity and a sense of humour. Yes, and the humour factor is really huge with Pacific people. And I hate this whole thing, you know, I don't want to fit into the whole we're all a bunch of jolly pollies who sit around um, laughing. It's true, we do. But um, but um, the, the, the sense of... of our sense of humour is the thing that cross that is uniting across all polycultures, you know, so it's the thing, the one sort of homogenizing factor with all our stuff, no matter which Pacific language you speak, there's this real commonality with the humour. Um, and and just the sense of joy, you know, like, um, and I think that's that that's been the most um, rewarding thing about making fresh is that people have told me that when they watch it, they're just smiling the whole way through. It's kind of just reaffirming that warts and all, and, you know, anyone, you know, like someone... Um, in a um, uh, school production in Manurewa can present a show and um, we can see their life and it's just as meaningful as, um, you know, Aradna or, you know, so, so it's just, cre- it's, it's shining a light on all these tiny communities um, and having them be so happy about it and, but also the the comedy factor, you know, and being able to put comedy on screen um, that's not 
that's not your standard kind of um, scripted comedy sort of stuff. So we've worked with lots of comedians um, and there's no way you can script them, which has been hellish for production. Um, And it's been a lot of hurdles to try to explain to the network as well, like to write the pitch about what you're going to (laughs) see in a way that, you know, that makes it palatable. And you go do something completely different, but um, but you know, I remember trying to explain the character of Auntie Tala, who is this um, man with a beard and a frock, but hugely popular with Pacific communities, you know, and and his brand of Tofinga um, Fipuliati's brand of humour, and trying to explain that to the network, why that's going to be popular, this you know, and and why they should um, get it over the line, kind of thing, and so so. Explaining the comedy has been hard, but the comedy is, I think, being the the driving force of Fresh. Tell me what you learnt taking that, um, t- t- taking you know the way that you connect to your audience from Fresh and putting it into the coconut. Mm. And I love this idea. I, I saw you speak um, uh, in an interview about this idea of like on the internet, it's always prime time. And like so much of, uh, you know, you know, special interest, which is funny when you're talking about, you know, 12 to 15 percent of the population uh, um, content has been so off peak. Yes, that's right. So um, and I and I think in terms um, of a business model as well, because, you know, Fresh is made for a network and um, and it's played at a terrible time for Pacific people. So it's 10 a.m. Saturday morning TV2. And that's the traditional sports hour. So, you know, um, we're fighting all the environmentals around that audience. So we're, with the CocoNet and um, with making an online channel, I, I think, again, we were really, really lucky in terms of timing because it did that thing where you invent, you, you make something for a marketplace where there's a huge need that is not being met anywhere in the world. You know, so it's putting um, putting something into this this huge thirsty audience um, that allows them to watch it whenever that they want. So you know, it's at the prime time all the time. But it's also the great equaliser. You know, and and it's 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 where the you know the online world is where you can find um, it, it, if you've got a niche product. Um, that doesn't exist anywhere else. It becomes the big primetime model, you know. So it's it's great, and then and you you know you look at all the all the internet stars that have been born out of that. Um, and we I went to a, a YouTube conference in Sydney recently, and they had all this this um, this resource around this huge big conference, and they had some of the best industry uh, creatives in Australia and New Zealand. But the stars were the, were the kids who were there who had the most YouTube hits. And so the stars were like a 16-year-old um, Asian girl who had thousands and thousands and thousands of hits and another really young girl who um, had, had cr- created this whole online thing. So it, it, it is a great equaliser. And, and um, I mean, you look at, at um, all the... I don't know the 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 makeup stars and the and it creates industry from bedrooms basically. So we're really lucky with timing for the coconut because um, it had never been done. There's no there was no online home for Pacific people at all. There were people making a few things on YouTube and on Facebook and you know. So this was in two thousand and thirteen. Um, yeah, two thousand and thirteen, fourteen. So we we were really lucky with timing and be able and being able to introduce to the world um, a place, a hub where they could come and find Pacific video content. And we're really lucky as well because um, 
we got we got backed by New Zealand on air, and that was very, very, very hard at the time to get them to believe in in the audience and, and in us. But thank God they had an awesome digital person on board, Brenda Lewenberg, who um, took a bit of convincing, but eventually uh, believed in the in, in our vision, as it were. Um, so we, yeah, and it was great. So when, and then when we put all that stuff online, it just exploded. But, does, yeah. does that allow you to let the people tell you what they want to watch, rather than maybe a commissioner who, for you know, they've got lots of other people that they are um, reporting to. Mm. Uh, they may not have the same community yeah. um, understanding. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. People, good, good people, and, but maybe not know, the best people to be in charge of the decisions. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it's good, and so it's got that great kind of socialist element about it, I suppose, as well, with people giving you feedback on every single thing you publish. Not shy, you know, because people, it's that whole thing, they realise they can say whatever they want behind a keyboard. So it's, you get tons and tons and tons of feedback on everything. Um, and we've had some really good feedback and um, really interesting feedback. And so, um, and from and from around the world, like I never... I had underestimated how big it would be to Pacific Islanders uh, worldwide because, uh, you know, I mean, you forget there's no Pacific TV anywhere else in the the world apart from the local island tally. There's no other countries with migrant Pacific populations that are making Italianers. Like Australia, for example, there's tons of of Pacific people in Australia. There's no Pacific tally. There's no Pacific stuff. So it kind of like there was this huge need for what we did um, with the coconut and – and it and it went gangbusters, which and and it's it's still you know like every every new video we release um, has an avid audience waiting for it. Um, we've yeah and and um, wait, waiting to illegally rip it off and download it and put it straight to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Use the um, share button. Yeah, Use the yeah, share yeah, button. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and t- tell me about like there's there's a really cool idea in the coconut as well about this um, concept of with so many Pacifica people being born in New Zealand and not having the um, exposure to growing up in the islands, the how-to content yes, is really fascinating. Yes. Like, th- That's right. About that. Because, again, it comes back to this whole thing that um, these these Kiwi Pacific audiences are our biggest population here, and they're so hungry for material from their homelands. And when we made the coconut, we thought, oh, the easy sell is going to be the comedy. You know, it's going to be like fresh. We've got to make lots of comedy because the people are going to want to watch that. And then we'll make some heritage stuff and we'll try to, you know, to, to garner the interest off the comedy and, and push some of the heritage stuff to people. But to our amazement and delight, the stuff that's really gone off is all the actual um, island content. So it's it's heritage content, it's language learning, it's cultural learning from the islands um, that you put in these how-to sections, but you make them kind of, you know, um, relevant to the young audience. So it's like how to wear a ta'ovala, how to get into a nightclub in Suva, how to dodge a flying jandal, how to um, weave a new way in basket, how to... And those sorts of things have been really popular, Um and that, which is, I don't know why I was so surprised by that because you know it's it's true of the population here and the things that, the hankering they have for wanting to know things from their parents' homelands. How how important has it been, or how helpful has it been for running the business side of um, the operations, 
the way that TV is structured, where every project's like you've got to make a little business case and you've got to, yeah. you know, convince investors and then you've got to run a budget to the dollar yeah, <laughs> or else yeah. New Zealand on air, yeah. uh, it's, it's all over. I mean, how, how um, important is it to get those kind of disciplines and structures um, into all of the production managers and the producers and all the people you work yeah. with? It, it has been difficult, but I mean, luckily, um, we, you know, we, we, we had, there, there was a sector, there was a sector that in a certain, and because we'd been in-house, well, I'd been in-house um, with TVNZ, um, and I'd produced the show Polyfest for about five years in-house. And so I was used to working with budgets and yeah. accountability and um, all the stringent sorts of reporting that you have to do. So um, I'd sort of known that. And also, and then when, when we became a business ourselves, an independent business, um, I hired people that had a lot of knowledge around those areas from the sector because that was one thing I just did not want to get wrong. And I don't, you know, I didn't want to have any sort of whisperings of the perception of, um, oh, you know, first time brown people and they they're not um, being completely transparent and accountable and blah 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 so um, so I just made sure that we had people from the sector that could do you know a lot of the back end of it the casework oh my god you're so right I mean the you know so there's one thing coming up with a brilliant creative idea which you do every single day ten times a day um, it's putting the back end around it making a business case for it and um, and that's really time-consuming as well. So, so you have to sort of divide your time between being part of the creative sector, but then also translating it into a business case and having strict accountability around all that process. Way stricter than um, you find in most businesses, I'd suggest as well. Like yeah. the, the TV, produ- the TV production industry uh, is tremendously well run. Yeah, it is. I mean, and there, and I, I, a lot of it's um, government funded, and so you have to do reporting at every single stage of production, which takes time, you know. But it's good because it does teach you all those processes. I mean, it's been a really valuable learning case for for business, I suppose. Is is the is the good thing about it? It's incredibly time consuming, but um, measurables and reporting the whole way. One thing that is great um, is with online stuff, the measurables are so much clearer and so much um, more realistic um, a capture of your audience than it is on telly. And the TV, you know, because as, as many people know, the, the TV rating system's hugely inaccurate um, and it's really, really random. Um, and, and whole programs are measured by the drop in one point for, for telly ratings. Online measurables. You cannot lie. You cannot. They, they, they you know, they, they're a, a great capture of um, who's actually watched your page for how many seconds at what time. So, you know, um, funding agencies like New Zealand on air need those measurables all the time. And I just, I plaster ours all over our reports. We get 90,000 people view on, you know, through on average a month. Um, you know, this is this is how we know this. This is how, so so it's a really good reflection of, of stuff. And um, I mean, a reflection of who's actually engaging with your content. And um, th- which, which is awesome as a, as a business model because, um it's so much more accurate than saying, oh, on some black box in Huntley somewhere, a mm. hundred people watched Tangata Pacifica or whatever. Yeah. What advice do you give to uh, young people or entrepreneurs or people wanting to to become storytellers and to tell their stories? And I guess you actually do this often on a day-to-day basis with yeah. all of the people who come up through your structures. Yeah. Um, storytelling 
and creative currency is going to be exploding. I mean, it is exploding, but it but it's the way of the future, and it's um, you know bespoke storytelling and your point of difference what is your point of difference in your story I mean those are things that you know you can't replicate by a robot or in a, in, a, in any kind of um, factory kind of environment and those are the things those light bulb um, moments and those light bulb ideas um, are, are just leading the way at the moment and nearly every sector you know the the, the creative innovation in every single sector um, globally is, is what's becoming recognized as being you know so so important and um, it's translating that into a business model I suppose which is um, I mean it's, it's maybe not the right term but it's translating that into into some realistic way of making it happen so um, what we need in the sector are more producers actually we that's where the bottleneck is we've got a ton of amazing pacific content creators and pacific light bulb people um, and there's you know so many awesome ideas because there's a backlog because we've only just got the pathways so but we need more producers we need more more people to help make stuff happen and bring them into reality i think but my advice just is believe in your light bulb moment it's it's and and also the um, like be more playful with ideas and things. I think we get taught um, kind of a, a rote in many ways about um, the ways you're supposed to think about ideas to bring to screen and formulas. And I think the best ideas have come from um, authentic moments in your life and joy and the wonder of it all, you know, and like um, – just things that you genuinely think are completely crack up funny that you never imagined you'd be able to put on screen. Yeah, it's sort of like um, believing in, in the realness and authentic um, moments as, as being valid enough. And having had success, academic success with the MA and then success as a storyteller through Tangata Pacifica and then as a producer with Fresh and then as a content platform creator with the Coconut, like how do you define success and what does success look like for you? Mm, I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's such a weird – I'm so scared of that word because it's, it's really hard um, to, to you know, put your – when I was growing up, we, I always got told, you know, in Samoa growing up that success was being a doctor or a lawyer. And those, because we always get told that those paradigms of of Palangi success are the other models, and work in a good office and blah blah blah, and um and I think I mean just for me personally, it's being able to do things in your daily, make a living from them that just give you joy, you know. And then if you can do that, I mean, what a luxury, what a privilege to 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 go to work and work with like-minded people, um and just have joy, and I think it's as simple as that. And um, and to and to be able to do the thing that you're good at, I mean, it's a privilege and it's wonderful. It's so cool. Thank you so much, Lisa Tauma from Fresh TV and from the Coconut. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for pimping us out. Lovely to be here. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much to Elizabeth Nadal for producing. And thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed today's chat, check out the back catalogue on the spin-off. Uh, we've got more than 100 of these chats with great New Zealand business people. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation.
from the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.